0: Well, howdy. Welcome to the Mental Health Weekly Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Casey Waller, a licensed therapist and writer. On this show, you can look forward to brief episodes that inform, entertain, and occasionally might even inspire. The goal is for you to know or feel or try something that makes your experience of being alive a little more alive. I tell all of my clients in therapy what I want most for them is to be the happiest, healthiest, and safest version of themselves. I want the same for you and for me. So with that, let's get to today's episode.
1: A few years ago, a coffee shop opened in my neighborhood called Civil Pour. The place immediately brought me joy. An open floor plan, great Wi-Fi, a massive garage door wall that rolls up when the weather's nice. They serve curated coffee and craft beer. Best of all, the water from the tap is sparkling. It's like a never-ending fountain of Topo Chico. I mean, this place has it all. Not only that, the patrons there are diverse, young, old, black, white, straight laced vanilla guys wearing khakis and loafers and funky as hell, gin's ears. Some come to work, others to read. Some, I think, just come. It's not uncommon at all to see students studying for exams or nurses and doctors and scrubs having a drink after their shift at the hospital ended across the street. It's the kind of place I go when I want to feel connected to other people. The owners are a husband and wife who looked at each other mid-career and asked one another if they were really doing what they wanted with their lives. The answer was no. So they quit their jobs and they built a dream instead. And it worked. Civil Corps was a massive success. Then a pandemic happened. You know the story. You saw it play out across the country. Restaurants, bars, and coffee shops shuttered at unprecedented rates. This couple gambled everything, and then, in the blink of an eye, the music stopped. That's what happens in life, isn't it? We do our best to move forward, and just when things seem to be going okay, the music stops and we fall down. If you're like me, I don't handle falls very well. I don't just jump right back up and get going. I'm prone to lie on my back and wallow in my misery much more than I am to try and see the silver lining and stand back up again and get going. Which is just another way of saying I don't always feel very resilient. My guess is that some of you listening feel that way too. So I wanna talk to you, not as someone who sees themselves as resilient, but as someone who struggles. There's a temptation when talking about resilience of relying too heavily on cases where individuals overcome extremely hostile conditions to beat the odds the mother who survives stage four cancer and goes on to run marathons, the child who grows up in poverty and then goes on to be trained as a doctor at Harvard. I understand this. We like these stories. They're fun to hear. There's a reason we love movies about Venus and Serena Williams, who doesn't want to get lost in a story where impossible feels a little less so when it's over. When we hear these stories, we get inspired. We think, wow, Tom Brady can win Super Bowls in his 40s. Maybe I can run a 5K. If every Taylor Swift song she writes turns into gold, then maybe I can sit down and write that short story about the time my best friend suddenly moved away. Here's the deal. In my experience, exceptional stories more often inhibit than inspire action because we know deep down that we are Tom Brady or Taylor Swift. We admire these people, We are entertained by them, but they don't actually motivate us because we don't relate to people who overcome great odds because they don't resonate with our daily lives. The good news is that this is not bad news. Because while it may be true their lives might not be the lives that the general public admires, our capacity for resilience is not reserved for superstars. It's for you and for me. If you take anything away from this episode, let it be this. There is nothing extraordinary about resilience. It is a common human trait. We all have it because we are born with it, which means we can harness it, but only if we choose to. Consider for a moment how the majority of people respond to major tragedies like 9-11 or the pandemic. By and large, people are rather quick to gather themselves and begin rebuilding what was lost, often coming back even stronger than they were before. The human capacity for resilience is remarkable and seriously underrated. A recent survey surveyed more than 500 people from March to May of 2020. It found that even during those early months of the pandemic, more than 56% of people reported feeling grateful, which was 17% higher than any other positive emotion. Those who reported feeling more grateful also reported being happier. What's even wilder is that even more people, 69% of respondents, reported expecting to feel grateful two to three months in the future. One of the clear signs of good mental health is a person's ability to do this. When things don't go as planned, how do they respond? Are they quick to rise to the challenge by looking for alternative solutions or eager to throw in the towel, convinced they're ill-equipped to do what needs to be done? When tragedy strikes or trauma is suffered or divorce is filed, what happens next? If a person is in good mental health, they'll display resilience and navigate the setback. Because remember, we are all naturally resilient. If a person's mental health is suffering, however, their ability to display resilience will be compromised. When facing a tragedy, people in poor mental health are far more prone to catastrophize or engage in all or nothing thinking. The towers fall down on 9-11, and instead of looking to help others or reimagining a new life in the wake of destruction, they see the tragedy as insurmountable. Terror is struck once, which means life can never be the same. It also means it's only a matter of time until it happens again, but the next time, it will be much worse. A person in poor mental health catches a cold and immediately worries about cancer. The relationship ends and they're convinced they'll be alone forever. Good mental health, on the other hand, allows a person to demonstrate the enormous capacity of the human spirit to not shrink when faced with a challenge, but rise to meet it with strength, brilliance, and resolve. In short, we are all resilient by nature, but our ability to access this power is highly dependent on the state of our mind. So, what is resilience? In the physical sciences, material objects are termed resilient if they resume their original shape after being bent or stretched. That's a sort of helpful definition, but people aren't objects and returning to our original shape is kind of a fantasy. We never return to what we were before. We are forever in the present, moving forward into another present. Trying to recapture what once was is akin to asking a person to travel back in time. Not going to happen. No time machines exist. When it comes to people, resilience often refers to the ability to bounce back after encountering difficulty. The American Psychological Association defines it as the process of adapting well in the face of adversity, trauma, tragedy, threats, and even significant sources of stress, such as family and relationship problems, serious health problems or workplace and financial stresses. All right, now we're getting somewhere. So resilience for our purposes on this episode, it's how we adapt to difficulty. And yet, did you notice that phrase bounce back that I just used? Even I'm still seeming to imply that our goal is to return to the past. I saw a video recently of a shooting at a little league game, terrible stuff. In the video, you see the boys playing ball, then gunfire erupts. There's a lag in their perception. I mean, they're playing baseball. Something really unexpected happens. You see confusion, slow recognition, and then understanding unfold over the course of just a few seconds, and then they all run away in fear. For those boys, there is before that moment and after. They are forever changed. For the worse? For the better? That depends. The only thing I know for sure is that pretending they can or should return to the before is unhelpful when it comes to practicing resilience. Until we experience trauma, many people assume the world is benevolent, life is controllable, and most people are basically good people who deserve good experiences. Trauma, suffering, pain, and loss, destroy that illusion. It is the human experience that we don't get to unexperience sexual assault, a racial slur, misogyny, hatred, poverty, or even a shooting at our little league baseball game. Stephen Joseph, a psychologist, says trauma challenges our global meaning system. It confronts us with existential truths about the clash with this system. The more we try to hold on to our assumptive world, The more mired we are in denial of such truths. You can't return to who you were before trauma. I know that's hard to hear, but it's true. The literature suggests that we basically have three options. You can get stuck, paralyzed, psychologically. That's my personal drug of choice. I still worry about telling my kindergarten teacher that our house got robbed and all of my Christmas gifts were stolen. My thinking was that the class would feel sorry for me and buy me a whole new round of gifts. True story. It happened. And I still feel guilty about it. So easy to get stuck in the past. A client of mine recently told me that some people like to step over the crap in their lives and others like to roll around in it. She's right. And I'm the kind of person who likes to roll around in it. And do you know where that gets me? Nowhere. So our first option is just to get stuck and ruminate psychologically, be paralyzed over the past. Second, When we're faced with trauma, we can seek safety at all costs because we're desperate. It doesn't matter if the form of the perceived safety is actually harmful, like misuse of alcohol or overconsumption of food or drugs. We simply don't want to feel the sting of trauma. So we try to feel safe by numbing out. I do this too, by the way. Clients often ask me about their drinking or smoking or whatever. They want to know if it's problematic. My first question is always, why do you use? Are you enhancing your life? Or are you numbing out from your life? That's the answer that really matters. Trauma can often cause us to seek refuge in the first safety boat available, even if it's an emotionally unavailable partner or a habit we know will come back to bite us. If it feels good in a moment, we'll hop on board. And guess where that gets us? Exactly where our first option of paralysis does. Nowhere. Now, fortunately, when faced with adversity, we have a third option. And that is that we can choose to grow. Can we embrace our suffering? Not as a good thing, but can we choose to see the suffering as an opportunity for growth? Think of it this way. Tara Brock, a psychologist and Buddhist meditation guru says, our habit is to view challenging situations as if something is wrong, that we are a victim and we have a problem. What if instead of a problem, we perceive stress as a signal to call on our resourcefulness intelligence, care, and courage. Resilience grows when we become intentional about bringing our best to difficult life season. George Valiant, a Harvard psychologist, says resilient people resemble a twig with a fresh green living core. When twisted out of shape, such a twig bends, but it does not break. Instead, it springs back and continues growing. That is a definition I can get behind. Resilience is all about the mindset we take toward the struggle. If Everything, no matter how awful, is an opportunity to grow. That means I can literally face anything. Doesn't that sound wonderful? And yet it does beg this question. How? Now, there are lots of ways to develop resilience, but this is a short podcast, so I'll just explore one. The concept is called tragic optimism, and it was coined by Viktor Frankl, a Holocaust survivor and humanistic psychologist. We always hear about the power of gratitude and the importance of counting our blessings. But that notion can feel a bit underwhelming when our lives are falling apart. Good vibes only just doesn't give a trick when our child dies or our spouse leaves us. The truth is that refusing to look at life's darkness is detrimental to mental health because toxic positivity is just a sanitized version of denying reality. Telling someone to stay positive in the middle of a global crisis is not only childish, but overlooks the potential a crisis creates for growth. As Robert Emmons, a prominent voice in the study of gratitude says, to deny that life has its share of disappointments, frustrations, losses, hurts, setbacks, and sadness would be unrealistic and untenable. Life is such, No amount of positive thinking exercises will change this. Viktor Frankl believed that tragic optimism was the antidote to toxic positivity. Tragic optimism is all about searching for meaning amid the inevitable tragedies of human experience. Something I think is far more practical for us living today. After all, it's not the traumatic event itself that leads to growth, but how the event is processed. What kind of active search for meaning do we undertake during and after the event? When I talk to clients about this, I use the image of a dark tunnel. Imagine you're standing there in a dark, long tunnel and you can see some light at the end. A person who takes the toxic positivity mindset says, oh, look, there's light at the end. We're all going to be okay. Let's just move towards the light. The tragic optimism says, yes, I see the light at the end, but the reality is where we are right now is dark, and it is scary, and it is uncertain. And I'm unsure of how long it's going to take me to get to the light. But in spite of my fears, which I will acknowledge, I'm going to continue to move towards that light, trusting and hoping that if I do, maybe, just maybe, I'll get there. Tar Brock, who I mentioned earlier, tells a story about a man who made a suicide attempt but survived and then later decided that he wanted to live. When a friend came to visit him, he couldn't believe that his friend had made the sudden decision to want to live so vigorously. Just weeks ago, he said, you wanted to die because you couldn't do the things you love. The man said, it's true. I can no longer feel the warmth of the sun and the cool of the breeze because I'm paralyzed. So now what I do is I find joy in the warmth of my caregivers and the cool of my clean bedsheets. Tragic optimism allows us to take perspectives, no matter how horrific our circumstances are, that perhaps might lead us to a more positive mindset that then will allow us to see opportunities that do exist that we otherwise would be blind to. The finest and most extreme example of tragic optimism I know was told by Ellie Weissel, who wrote about a young boy who was hanged in a concentration camp that he himself was held in. The child they hanged was so small and light, he didn't die immediately when the SS tipped over his chair, but instead suffered for more than half an hour. Where is merciful God? Where is he, someone standing behind Wiesel asked? For God's sake, where is God? Weissel wrote that from within him, he heard a voice answer. Where is he? This is where. Hanging here from the gallows. Tragic optimism can allow us to practice our natural ability for resilience by reminding us that there are always options, always perspectives, always other avenues that perhaps we don't naturally think of when we're suffering. But if we contend to our mental health in a way that we remain fairly healthy, we will have access to this superpower of resilience. That doesn't mean we're going to overcome every situation, but it does mean we can perhaps find meaning in every situation that gives our life a little more value. Oh, and remember Sybil poor, guess what? The owners did what all of us can do. They came back. They came back.
0: They came back. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope it was time well spent. Make sure you're subscribed on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. And come find me online on Instagram at Waller or my website, RyanCaseyWaller.com. See you next week. Until then, may the path you're walking be filled with curiosity, peace, and love.